Welcome to the United Student Worship Podcast. We are so glad you decided to listen. If you want to connect with us, one of the best ways is through Instagram. You can follow us at Beach Students. We hope that this message encourages you and points you to Jesus in whatever you are going through. Hey guys, how you doing? That was way more enthusiasm than I thought I was going to get. Oh my goodness. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Jacob. Some people screamed it earlier. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to pray, and then we'll get into it. Um, dear God, thank you so much that we get to come together, and we get to worship you, and we get to learn more about you. God, we pray for Holly and her family as they are dealing with um, just unspeakable loss and pain uh, this week. Um, for a lot of us, the grief will end before it does uh, for their family and those who are closest to Maggie. And so we just pray that you continue uh, to provide peace and to provide comfort in a tangible and real way for their family as they continue uh, through this process of grieving. God, be with us tonight um, as we dive into your word. Help it to be um, from you and not from me. Um, and I just pray that these students would... Um, encounter you through your word tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. Guys, we're almost done with a 14-week series, which feels insane to me because when we started, I thought, like most things, this will never end, and we'll be doing Love Is Until I Die, um, and which was fine because I love, I love talking about love. I love talking about God's love specifically. I love the fact that God is love. I love love, um, not like cheesy romance, like Hallmark movie love, because that's bad, um, but like real love. And I love that God chose love to be the attribute that um, we use to display uh, his glory here on earth and how we are labeled as his followers. And I love that um, the Bible talks about his love not being complete until we love others the way that he loved us. And so... Um, as we live out this series, as we actually put it into practice, we are making God's love complete, and I think that is insanely, insanely cool. Um, but I'm also excited that we're almost done and that we only have one more week, because then we go on Christmas break. And I love Christmas. Yeah, you can clap for Christmas for sure. Um, Christmas is my favorite because of a lot of things. I love lights. I love cookies. I love ham. I love decorations. I love gifts. I love family and friends, um, and I love Christmas music. Uh, some people really don't like Christmas music for some reason. Um, Christmas music is like a forbidden fruit of sorts for me because I refuse to listen to it anytime after Christmas Day and before Thanksgiving. So it's like this real tight window that I got to squeeze in a lot of Michael Bublé. Um, and then the rest of the year is Taylor Swift, so it works out fine. But... Um, I love Christmas music, and I love Christmas, and when Christmas comes around, a word comes up a lot, and that's hope, and hope comes up a lot because Jesus is the hope of the world, and we start to hope for things. We hope that our family gets to come and travel and be with us for the holidays, that we get to be with the ones that we love. We hope for, like, just the easiest holiday season. We want it to be stress-free. We want to find BOGO deals on gifts. We want like people to be healthy. We want people to just leave us alone some of the time, which is all right. It's the holiday season. We can have alone time. And we hope for like, okay, um, I hope every year for 
uh, a very specific breakfast that my mom refuses to make unless it's Christmas morning. It's a ham, egg, and cheese croissant, like, Swiss roll, but it's like, so imagine what a Swiss roll looks like, but it's ham, egg, and cheese in a croissant. I, I don't know if I'm doing it justice, but it's my favorite thing in the world, and I hope for it every year, even though I know I'm going to get it. Um, I also hope for gifts. Um, I'm sure you've hoped for a specific present at some point. Um, I'll never forget one year I wanted a penny board uh, when penny boards were cool because you could change out the wheels and the trucks and customize your penny board, and it was so cool. Um, but I don't skate, so I, I mean, look at me. Um, I don't skate, and I don't, I don't know if I thought just having a penny board would make me good at it. Every time I tried to ride my friend's penny boards, uh, it was miserable. I fell. I probably should have died several times. Um, I can't skate. I can ripstick. I can ripstick the heck out of a ripstick. I don't know how to phrase that, but I can ripstick. I can't skate, but I was devastated the year that I hoped for a penny board and didn't get it. Um, it was a bad year for Jacob, but every year um, hope comes up, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight is hope. First Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter 13, uh, verse 7 says, love always hopes. It always hopes. And uh, when I first read that, uh, I was frustrated because it, it's an action word that is doing an action. So it's like saying run jumps, and which doesn't make sense. And it really stressed me out. Um, but if you look at the original Greek for hope, elpizo, it means to expect what is good. So we can say love hopes for the best. We can say love hopes for the best because hope is to expect what is good. It's to have an attitude of expectancy. It's to live your life in a way that expects good things to happen. So here's an embarrassing thing about me. Every year I hope that it snows on Christmas. Yeah, um, here's the deal. If you haven't noticed, we live in Jacksonville, Florida, and every Christmas is 75 degrees, max humidity, and a 60% chance of rain. And I say rain has just melted snow, and I also say 2020 is the weirdest year yet, so who's to say? Um, but hope doesn't just apply to situations. It applies to people. And that's why we're going to talk about love hopes, because you can hope for the best in the people around you. And so before I try and explain any of it, we're just going to look at how Jesus did it, because, you know, he's like perfect, I guess. So we'll, we'll look at how he did it. Um, we're going to look at Mark chapter 2. Um, we're going to hear a story about Levi. And if that name doesn't sound familiar to you, it will in a little bit. So Mark chapter 2, starting verse 13 once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and began to teach to them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus told them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Here's the deal with Levi. 
Levi is not a good guy. Levi's not good because of a couple reasons. One, uh, if you notice, every time it describes what Levi does, he's a tax collector, um, it says he's a tax collector and also a sinner. So he's working for what his culture deems as the enemy. He's working for the Roman Empire. Automatically, he's not living up to his namesake just by his choice of occupation. His name in Hebrew means harmony. And he's created division in his own life, with his own family, with his own community, with his own people. He separated himself from them. And then his name also comes from the title Levites. And Levites were in charge of the temple. Uh, They would clean it and prepare it for people who were coming in to sacrifice and to worship. Uh, And they often led uh, songs of praise as people were in there doing uh, what they needed to do. And generally, the Levites blessed God's people as they came to worship God. And so Levi is, as a tax collector, literally stealing blessings from his people. So he's, he's kind of failing in the name department, and his identity is just generally not a good guy. He's labeled a tax collector and a sinner. Every time this passage says tax collector, it immediately makes sure you know that they're sinners. And every time it says sinner it immediately makes sure you know that they're talking about tax collectors because that's just how it was. So he probably knew he wasn't a good guy either. And so for Jesus to say, follow me, and for him to get up and go immediately, this is, this is an insane moment. Levi's also known as Matthew. And you might know Matthew because he wrote the first book of the New Testament. So how do you go from tax collector and sinner to gospel writer. Well, you can only do it because of Jesus. Jesus looked past Levi's surface situation. He looked past Matthew's job. He looked past what he was labeled as a sinner, and he saw him the way God sees him. He saw him as a disciple, as a pastor and a missionary, and he saw him as a gospel writer. He saw the traits that it took to be a tax collector translated into his calling that God created him to be. So to be a tax collector, you have to be educated. It's kind of hard to write a gospel if you don't know how to read or write. He saw someone who was a leader, who's used to traveling, and that's a pretty big deal when your whole ministry hangs on the idea that your disciples go out to all the nations, travel around, and lead other people to learn about the good news of Jesus. He saw someone who was a quick learner. Uh, A disciple has to forget a life that they were living and literally learn how to live someone else's life. He had to do this when he left his Jewish culture and heritage and life and became an official worker for Rome. He was a tax collector now, and so he knew that Matthew could be a quick learner. And so because Jesus was able to look past his situation Matthew's able to write down every moment that he spent with Jesus. He's able to write down what he saw, what Jesus said, and why it was so important so that thousands of years later, we can stand here and be in this building, read Matthew's words, and have the same encounter with the same Jesus that Matthew did. And this is only possible because love looks past what you can see 
and focuses on who God made them to be. Love looks past what you can see, and it focuses on who God made them to be. This is a big deal. And Jesus does this all the time. Jesus sees us not as sinners, but he sees us holy, righteous, redeemed, children of God, people who carry God's image in a broken world. That's a big deal. That's how Jesus sees us. He didn't just come and give his life for a bunch of people that he thought were going to mess it up. No, he saw the best in us. He continues to see the best in us. Love looks past what you can see and focuses on who God made them to be. See, humans are capable of good and bad. Uh, This year alone, we saw some of the worst of humanity, I think. Uh, Families and friendships were torn apart over um, political policy and over a conversation about racism. Uh, There's war, there's greed, there's lust. Name literally anything else that humans do. Humans are so good at hurting others, at hurting God's creation, at hurting themselves. We have a pretty high capacity for pain and causing it. But on the flip side, God created us to do so much good. He created us to be good. If you look at like gifts and passions that people have and the way that people live that out, like art, music, uh, dancing, theater, graphic design, uh, videography, photography, all of that, just expressions of visions and gifts that God has given people that they get to just like bless people with. I think that is so cool. And then also we just recently, um, we lost Maggie. And um, on Friday, while I was at work, we, um, I saw that she had a fundraiser for her memorial service. And um, when I first looked at it, there was $100 or so put in there, and the goal was $10,000. And nine hours later, when I got off work, they had surpassed the $10,000 goal. They were already at like $2,300 or something, or $23,000, something like that, like well beyond what they thought they were going to get because they were... There's people in our community who are supporting and serving and being there for this family because humans have such a high capacity for love and understanding one another. We have emotions that bring us together. We have shared experiences, and all of this helps us have this huge capacity for love. See, you can choose to look at humanity. There's actually people who like live their whole lives based on this weird philosophy that man is as bad as they possibly can be. That humanity is bad, and occasionally we do some good things. And you can choose to live life like that, but love, if you're living out love, love requires us not to focus on that negativity. And actually, love says humanity is inherently good, and occasionally we do bad things. See, love makes a choice. Love believes the best in others instead of assuming the worst. Love believes the best in others instead of assuming the worst. Jesus did this, of course, he did, because he's good. He's good at what he does. Jesus did this for all of us. Jesus said, I have come to the world not to condemn it, but to save it. If anyone was going to condemn the world and have the right to do it, it was Jesus. But he didn't define us by the things that made us bad, by the things that would label us sinners and tax collectors. No, he labeled us as good. 
and he believed the best about us. He did this even personally with his own disciples. He knew, he knew that Judas was going to betray him, that Peter would deny him, and that Thomas was going to doubt him. That's one-fourth, one-fourth of his crew that is already going to be what we would define as really crappy friends, to someone who all he did was serve them, and all he did was show them how to live this incredible life. And then let's just, for the sake of it, the rest of his disciples, he told them time and time again, I'm going to go away for a little bit. He, I mean, he was vague about it, but I'm going to go away for a little bit and I'll be back. And all the disciples were like, yeah, we got it. That sounds great. Where are you going? And then when it happened, when he died, they just scattered. They abandoned him. They left their friend for dead, literally. And yet Jesus still chose them. He still called them to something better because he believed the best about them. See, we get to make that choice every single day too. There are so many times in our life where we just have the option to just really assume the worst things about some people. I, um, over the years, I've had friends tell me that other friends were gossiping about me. I've had friends cancel plans or forget that we had plans entirely. Um, I've had people ignore my texter calls for days on end. Um, and in those moments, the instinct is just to assume the worst. The instinct is to believe that your friend is actually talking crap about you and deciding they're not my friend anymore. And you know what? I'm going to talk crap about them. And then after that, I'm, just for good measure, I'm going to make sure that they never have another friend again. When in reality, most of the time, they probably weren't talking bad about you in the first place. But we create this fear and anxiety in ourselves when we assume the worst. And then we act out of that. And it causes us to be the bad friend. It causes us to be the jerk. It causes us to live out of the opposite of what love calls us to do. See, believing the best looks like when you hear your friends gossiping about you, going to your friend first, hearing their side of the story, finding out if it's even true to begin with. If someone forgets that you have plans or cancels, it's not assuming that they hate you or that they found something better to do. It's more likely that this has been one of the craziest years of our lives and people need rest and people are forgetful and things are crazy. And when I need a day off, sometimes I have to cancel plans. And I would hope that my friends understand that it's not because I hate them, but it's because I need rest so that I can continue to be the best friend that I can be. See, believing the best puts you in a place of grace. Believing the best allows you to operate from grace and forgiveness. The thing that I realized about love hopes is that it's the foundation for so many of the other attributes of love. It's easier to forgive when you're believing the best. It's easier for you to be patient when you're believing the best. It's easier for you to not get easily irritated when you're believing the best about the people around you. And then here comes the other problem. See, for me, I feel like believing the best about other people tends to come naturally. And that's the easier aspect of this. I feel like when people wrong me, quote unquote, like um, Ava kind of talked about expectations. And when our expectations don't line up, I'm usually pretty good about assuming, <clears throat> sorry, believing, not assuming, believing the best about the people in my life. The thing that I struggle with is believing the best about myself. See, love doesn't just require it for other people. 
Love requires it for you as well. And if I asked you to believe the best about you, I have a feeling a lot of you would laugh. (laughs) Oh, Jacob, what? Believe the best about me? Have you seen my past? Have you seen this track record that I'm dealing with over here? Garbage. It's absolute trash. There's nothing good there. Jacob, believe the best about me? (laughs) No. Do you know the thoughts and feelings I have at 2 a.m. when I can't sleep? Do you know the thoughts and feelings I have when I zone out in class? The thoughts and feelings that make me feel like if anyone knew what was really going on inside my head, they would hate me. Believe the best about me? No, see, over here, I have a lot of guilt. Over here, a lot of shame, and the rest, just a lot of regret. See, I think a lot of the times it's easier for us to believe the best about others, but when it comes to believing the best about ourselves, we just assume the worst because we know us. But you know who knows us better than we do? God. And God believes the best about you. God believes the best about you, not because he has to, not because Jesus told him to, not because we did something so great that he's like, "Ah, I got to look past everything else they did. They got me. No. God believes the best about you because he knows you better than anyone else. He's the one who knit you together in your mother's womb. He's the one who has final authority on who you are because he created you and he chose to look past the labels of sinner, the labels of tax collector. He looks past your past because you're not defined by your past. And he calls you to something better because he knows who he created you to be and it's not a failure. And it's not this horrible person who's stuck where they're at. It's something so, so good. The key to love hopes is seeing yourself the way that God sees you and seeing others the way that God sees them. Like I said, hope is pretty foundational to the rest of the attributes of love. So it seems weird that we did it last, but I think it's important nonetheless because if you don't have this, if you can't believe the best about yourself and the people around you, it's going to be really difficult to love. I'm going to close with a quick story. Um, I have the insane privilege of working with the students who serve here at United. And um, one of our serve students was sharing a story the other week about um, how she's reconnecting with someone who she used to be friends with and then she wasn't. And she told us that this friend had really hurt her and that she was never going to talk to this person again. She was done with this relationship. She was done with this friendship. It was over. She's a senior now. She's about to go to college. She's about to go to the college of her dreams. And she uh, got a text from this friend who betrayed her. And she's thinking about going to the same college. And she reached out and she said, hey, you know, we're about to go to college. We're about to um, have, you know, it's just going to be us. Not a lot of other people we know are going here. Do you want to get lunch and talk about what happened? Do you want to get lunch and and kind of figure this thing out. And the student shared, she said, a week ago, if you had told me I was going to go get lunch with this girl, I would have laughed. I would have laughed because there's no way that I was going to get lunch with her. But she said she felt like God was really pushing her to go to this lunch. And she, she shared that it was from a place of forgiveness, but she hadn't gone on the lunch yet. She hadn't forgiven 
the girl yet. She was really operating out of believing the best in this friend. She could have assumed the worst because this person had already hurt her. This person had already laid down a track record of pain, betrayal, and just brokenness. She had every right to say, you were a bad friend to me. We're not going to lunch. This relationship is done. You're in the past. But instead, this girl is now going to experience the love of Jesus because one of our students decided to believe the best about someone who had already hurt her. So your action step this week, your action step this week is to pray for one person that you assume the worst about. I know in the past, our action steps have been more like, go talk to someone and find three people and like give them a high five or whatever. Um, And it's like really like go to that person and and do something. Um, But here's the thing about prayer. Prayer changes your perspective. Prayer allows you to see people the way that God sees people. And so I know if you spend an entire week, two weeks, three weeks, a month praying for someone that you've assumed the worst about, you're going to start to believe the best about them. You're going to start to see them the way that God sees them. This person could be a sibling, a parent, a friend, a coworker who just doesn't do their job and makes your life a lot more difficult. It could be a teacher, a classmate. It could be any number of people, but one person that you've assumed the worst about and spend this whole week praying for them. And I guarantee you, if you keep praying for this person, you're going to start to believe the best about them. Hope, for me at least, has become the foundation for the rest of these love attributes. Don't miss this one. Dear God, thank you for these students. I thank you that you gave Jesus as the example for hope and love and what it means to be a follower of you. God, I pray that that every student in this room would be able to see themselves the way that you see them. And that when they've grasped how good you view them, that they would see that in every single person around them. God, thank you so much that you give us every opportunity to continue to try and try again, even after we fail, even after we mess it up, even after we've assumed the worst for our whole lives. Thank you for believing the best about us.